everyone and welcome to your daily dose of medicine with AMSA Malaysia. We advocate for knowledge, action and friendship. Enjoy! Assalamualaikum and a very good morning everyone. Welcome back and thank you for joining our sixth episode of Daily Dose of Medicine. Today we're going to talk about an interesting topic which is diabetes. I'm Ayman, a UN medical student from University of Malaysia Sabah, one of the AMSA members. And hello everyone, I'm Sharon, a third-year medical student here at University of Malaysia Sabah as well, and we are going to be the co-hosts for today's podcast. Now, before we jump right and introduce our speaker, here's a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Lecturio. You know what it feels like. You're in medical school, and you want those high scores that will help you land the specialty of your choice. Listen up. Lecturio.com makes high scores achievable for all medical students. With award-winning educators providing short and up-to-date video lectures, you'll learn medical concepts faster than ever before. Apply the concepts you've learned with the Lecturio Question Bank. Be prepared for test day with thousands of up-to-date board-style questions with text and video explanations. Finally, improve your ability to recall key information with an integrated spaced repetition system that tells you exactly when to review what you've learned. Need on-the-spot support? Use the free Lecturio Bookmatcher. You can now simply scan any textbook page to turn it into an explanatory video lecture. Sounds great, right? Go to Lecturio.com, create your free account, and start mastering medical concepts today. Thank you very much, Lecturio, for sponsoring this episode's podcast. And Ayman, back to you. Okay, so today the expert on the topic that will be discussing this podcast is Dr. Merrill. Before we start, let's have a little introduction of who our speaker is. So, Dr. Merrill is a senior medical lecturer and internal medicine physician at the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences, University of Malaysia, Sabah. She obtained her medical degree at the University of Edinburgh, UK completed her foundation training and core medical training at the Merseyside Unity UK and later on furthered her internal medicine training at Queen Elizabeth I and II hospitals in Kodakinabalu, Sabah as a medical specialist. She has been involved in various community projects and programs to promote the health of patients in local communities. So welcome, Doctor, to this podcast today. It's truly an honor to have you with us here today, Doctor. And now as a kickstart, could you please tell us how you define diabetes to the general public? Thank you so much, Ayman and Sharon. Uh, first, I would like to thank uh, both of you and, and, and Amsa for um, inviting me to the podcast today. I, I, I think podcast is a wonderful way to learn. So I'm excited to have this opportunity. So uh, back to your question, um, to the general public, how would I define diabetes? I would say diabetes is really a disorder that causes too much blood sugar to accumulate in your blood. And it happens because your body just does not produce enough of a hormone that's called insulin uh, or because your body isn't responding to that hormone insulin uh, in a normal way. So basically, uh, your because there's just not enough insulin or because the body stops responding to the insulin, sugar builds up in the blood. And when there's just way too much sugar in your blood, uh, over time, it can really uh, 
wreak havoc to your blood vessels, especially in the inner lining of your blood vessels, where it causes them to be stiff and narrow, and even worse if it gets blocked. And you can think of it as, um, you know, a, a condition where you have just too much of a blood sugar over time. This condition leads to a damaged blood vessels everywhere in your body, in particular uh, the important organs. So, for example, if you have um, blood vessels that's stiff and blocked in your brain, you call that stroke. Diabetes is a very important condition to understand, to learn and to manage. All right. Uh, thank you, doctor, for the eye-opening insights. All right. Well, I believe you've all heard about obesity being associated with diabetes. However, there are also some cases where people who are not even obese um, do also acquire the disease, which brings us to the next question. Doctor, could you please enlighten us on this issue and what actually causes diabetes? Okay, thank you, Ayman, for that question. I think um, it's not certainly not wrong to say that obesity is associated to diabetes. And in fact, we can say that obesity is, uh, uh, is thought to also cause or contribute to diabetes, in particular the type 2 diabetes. And then you did say that, you know, there are patients who are not obese, but still get the disease. So um, like we said initially, you know, the problem really is with insulin. So let's think about it like this. There are two types of diabetes in general. There are type 1 diabetes, where the problem is with an absolute lack of insulin. That means your body just isn't producing insulin. And, and the, the organ that produces insulin is your pancreas. And in particular, it's the beta cells of the Isle of Langerhans in your pancreas um, that produces insulin. So in patients with type 1 diabetes, the problem is uh, there's an inappropriate activation of your immune system against the uh, insulin-producing beta cells in your pancreas. Uh, and that causes destruction and, and, and then this, uh, state where there's just no, not, no, no, uh, cells that's going to produce insulin in your body. And, and, and in type one diabetes, what causes the autoimmune uh, activation is actually unclear, but it's, it's, it's thought to be due to a combination of both genetic and, uh, environmental factor. Uh, perhaps to even something like an exposure to viral infection. Um, and, and type 1 diabetes mellitus, they, they tend to present early in childhood or, or adolescent. But of course, there are cases as well of late onset type 1 diabetes. And, and serologically, if we look at the bloods of these uh, patients with uh, type 1 diabetes, we can actually detect in, in, in many of them the presence of uh, this autoantibodies against the islet cell, uh, like the um, antibody against the uh, glutamic acid carboxylase, the anti-GAD, uh, uh, antibodies against uh, insulinoma antigen, uh, sometimes zinc transporter. So, so, so it's basically an autoimmune uh, mediated destruction. In contrast, though, for type 2 diabetes, the problem is thought to be because of insulin, uh, relative insulin deficiency and insulin resistance. And uh, if it's okay, let's try and elaborate on this. When we say there's an, uh, a relative uh, deficiency, we mean that there's, there's insulin production by 
the uh, pancreatic beta cells, but it's just not enough. And, and often this is because of insulin resistance. And when we say insulin resistance, we mean that our body, our body cell just isn't as sensitive to insulin as it normally should. So it requires a lot more insulin to activate um, the cell signaling process to take that sugar into the cells. So with insulin resistance, uh, the, the, the question is then, what causes the insulin resistance? We don't quite know, but maybe one of the mechanisms that we can probably talk about, the postulation, for example, like the one that you said was obesity, right? Obesity is thought to lead to diabetes mellitus type 2 uh, because of um, when someone has obesity, they have too much uh, fat tissue called uh, adipose tissue. Uh, this adipose tissue, when there's too much of it, you're going to have uh, subsequent breakdowns from it. And from that, you can get a release of more free fatty acids and also pro-inflammatory cytokines. And, and the pro-inflammatory cytokines are one of the um, molecules that's thought to uh, contribute to insulin resistance state, where uh, it causes the, the, the cells in the body to be less sensitive to insulin. So, so then... Uh, you have this uh, state of hyperglycemia, and even though there's lots of insulin, your body is just not your body is just not uh, sensitive to it. So we, we say that there's a relative state of insulin deficiency because it's actually not enough to meet or to to overcome the insulin resistance. Uh, so you need more and more and more insulin so that it can it can actually uh, uh, take up that 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 glucose and be used by your body. Ooh, thanks, doctor. That definitely cleared my doubts all this while. Now, with the modern lifestyle and eating habits where carbohydrates and fats are so abundant, especially in things like boba and all sorts of desserts, I believe the audience is just as curious as me uh, to know what are the risks of us developing diabetes. Oh, I must say I love boba tea, but not too much that I drink it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and and yes, uh, those they they are full of sugar, so we need to limit that. And and you know, going back to the question of um, what are the risks of developing diabetes, uh, depends. I think if you talk about type one diabetes mellitus, I think it, it the, all those autoimmune processes we know that it's linked to the risk factors would be um, patients uh, who who have family history and 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 genetic um, certain genetic disease are linked to type one diabetes. So so. Um, but when we come to type 2 diabetes, I think this is the one that, that it's more related to a modern lifestyle or eating habits. So, um, and remember, with type 2 diabetes mellitus, there's, there's that insulin resistance, or what we call prediabetes. And I think that's the one that we need to try and focus on. So often, like we said, one of the risk factors are being overweight or obese. And we've already talked about how that can, can be linked to um, diabetes uh, progression, and then uh, older age uh, is 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 a risk factor. Although you know that's not something that you can change. A family history of diabetes mellitus. So especially if you're if you're even if you're type two diabetes, if you have say a parent, your you have your parents or your brothers or your sisters with diabetes, you may have then an increased risk of developing diabetes. So that's important to note. Certain um, ethnicity are linked to higher risk of getting diabetes. Uh, 
And then uh, going back to the lifestyle, it's physical inactivity. So a sedentary lifestyle is associated with developing type 2 diabetes. Um, when you have a concurrent medical condition like high blood pressure or maybe high blood cholesterol levels, um, if you're pregnant and previously you had gestational diabetes, you are at increased risk of getting um, diabetes as well. But maybe if it's okay, I'd like to focus on the ones where we said there's a pre-existing medical problem. Um, we have something called metabolic syndrome. And, and, and metabolic syndrome is really a combination of the famous things that we always say, please check, please check. Combination of high blood pressure, abnormal cholesterol level or lipid uh, profile, and, and, and obesity. So we know this from large waist size. So patients who, who, who fulfill uh, the criteria for metabolic syndrome, they are more likely to actually have um, insulin resistance, i.e. the risk for developing type 2 diabetes. So those are the things that we look for. Uh, and, and, and just to say that in, in hospitals or if I, if I see patients in clinic, I also look at the medication that they take there's certain medication that are linked to um, insulin resistance, like if you, if you take uh, steroids, for example, certain antipsychotics, but um, it's not necessarily leading to type 2 diabetes. It's just saying that, you know, you can develop insulin resistance from this, uh, hence then the diagnosis for type 2 diabetes. And then um, the other things are uh, problems like if, if you have uh, hormonal problems, maybe like Cushing's or, or if you have uh, sleep problems like sleep apnea, you can you, you can get type 2 diabetes uh, associated with that. So uh, j- just just to uh, just to clarify, although you can't change all these risk factors, like um, there are certain risk factors that you can't change, there are things that you can certainly change or you can certainly be mindful of, such as, uh, you know, your eating habits, your physical activity, uh, your weight, and, you know, monitoring your blood pressure uh, and all that. So that it lowers your risk factors for getting diabetes. I see. Uh, thank you very much for the input, doctor. Speaking of risk, can you explain to us how does a person becomes diabetic? Oh, I I think I I I I, I talked quite a bit already about like how, uh, the mechanisms of diabetes. Uh, but just just to uh, emphasize on the point, I think for. I think it, it sounds like we're asking about type 2 diabetes mellitus, right? So I think I think it comes back to the question of, you know, what are the risk factors that the patient have that leads to insulin resistance? And that insulin resistance then lead to that state of hyperglycemia, which is how we define diabetes. And, and maybe this is the perfect time to maybe just say, what do we mean by uh, diabetes? And uh, maybe we say type 2 diabetes mellitus, uh, so for type 2 diabetes mellitus, I would say that you're diabetic if you have symptoms of too much sugar. And I believe we're going to talk a bit about, you know, what are these symptoms of too much sugar? But really when we're trying to, to, to uh, say, yes, you have too much sugar in your blood, is when we look at your blood test and we look for certain, uh, certain uh, what do you call, blood tests. Uh, one is uh, your fasting uh, venous plasma glucose, meaning the sugar level that we take when you have fasted for at least eight hours. And that fasting blood sugar, it should you should have enough insulin to keep that sugar at bay. 
So if you're fasting, blood sugar level is more than seven millimoles per liter. Ooh, that's, that's high. Uh, we need two values if you don't have um, signs of hyperglycemia. So the other one is probably a random blood sugar. A random blood sugar of, that means we don't ask you to fast, we just take it randomly. And even if you've eaten, if your blood sugar is more than or equal to 11.1 millimoles per liter, you are diabetic. You, 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 you have too much sugar in your blood. Uh, so we need, we need certain values to, to say that you're diabetic. The, the other one would be, uh, we look at the control over three months or, or you know, like your, your sugar with your, uh, we look at uh, what we call uh, glycated hemoglobin. When you have too much sugar in your blood, you, it has a lot of chance or time for it to conjugate with your uh, hemoglobin. So we look at your HPA once we call it. Um, if it's more than, in, in CPG ratio, it's 6.3%. That's high. Uh, but if you look at maybe international levels, it's 6.5%. It's more than that. That's high. So we think you have too much sugar. It's very likely that you have diabetes. Another one is oral glucosterone stress, which is rather similar to uh, the uh, fasting and random blood glucose tests. But yeah, I know I'm not really specifically answering your questions to how patients become diabetic, but I think we've already answered that question initially, but I just want to emphasize on the fact that, you know, there's, there's, there's uh, the way we diagnose diabetes is by, by confirming the parameters that we can actually uh, uh, check. And the ones that I mentioned are the diagnostic criteria for diabetes plus symptoms of hyperglycemia. All right, thank you, doctor. That really puts a lot of things into perspective. Um, so speaking of symptoms, I'm actually curious what would a diabetic patient actually experience upon being diagnosed? And as future doctors, when should we suspect that someone has diabetes? So doctor, can you please share a little bit of your insight on this matter? Uh, thank you, Sharon. So um, I think with regards to the what, what they experience, so I think another word is, is their symptoms. Um, they it, generally uh, patients with diabetes they, they don't especially in type 2 diabetes they don't tend to have symptoms on presentation because we tend to see them uh, or detect that they have diabetes on screening but if they are symptoms uh, if they are uh, diabetes is very uncontrolled and there's a lot of sugar in their blood they can get symptoms of hyperglycemia and this is certainly true for those with type 1 diabetes mellitus um so let's talk about features of hyperglycemia first. So when you have too much sugar in your blood, uh, it's going to make your blood very, what we call hyper or smaller. There's going to be lots of sugar molecules. And, and when, when, when your blood in this, is in a state of hyper or smaller, it's very easy to, uh, to cause osmotic shift of water to the areas where there's a lot of sugar. So uh, when, when a patient with, that uh, hyperglycemia pees when they produce urine. Uh, usually, when you pee, your your glucose is going to be reabsorbed into your blood. But because it's just way too much sugar, your body is just going to stop reabsorbing those sugar and just let it uh, go out through the urine. And with that, with that very sugary urine, uh, it's going to draw a lot of water with it as well. So, a patient is going to notice that they're going to pee a lot of uh, water uh, or a lot of urine. So, we call this polyuria. So they can get polyuria. At the same time, because you're peeing a lot and you're drawing a lot of uh, water with it, 
uh, it's going to exacerbate that hyper osmolarity, that 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 concentration of sugar in your blood, and and with the state of and and the concurrent state of you know you peeing out a lot of that water, your body is going to be dry, and it's going to signal to your to your brain uh, and and activate that thirst um, center, and tell your body to drink more water. So often, uh, patients with hyperglycemia feel very thirsty, so they get um, Increase urinary, urinary frequency. Uh, they get uh, increased thirst, so always feeling thirsty. Another thing that I, I tend to ask for is also blurred vision. So when it comes to blurred vision, it's it's because you know where when we say um, where 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 sugar is, um, the it draws uh, water with it as well. When there's high blood sugar level, um, it can also your affect your ability to see. Because uh, the lens that absorbs the the sugar, they can't break down that sugar, so it swells. So it causes like temporary blurring of vision as well. So I've always asked those questions. Do you do you, do you think you've been peeing a lot lately? And do you always feel thirsty? How about blurred vision? Do you do you notice that you have blurred vision? And and quite often in in, in patients with and this is particularly for type one, they actually experience weight loss. Um, and, and even polyphagia, where they eat a lot. Um, and, and the reason why is because they have absolute insulin deficiency, where they don't have insulin at all in their body. So remember, insulin is actually the key for uh, utilizing glucose in the blood. So if you have a lot of sugar in your blood, but you don't have insulin, you don't have the key to bring that glucose into the cell for it to be used as energy. So what happens is, uh, Actually, you are your cells is always going to be hungry, so they're going to try and break down other molecules like fats and protein to try and get energy that way. So they they are actually going to get weight loss. So patients with with um, type one diabetes in particular, they don't have insulin at all. They get uh, because of symptoms of hyperglycemia, it's not just peeing frequently, feeling thirsty, and having blurring of vision. They also can get weight loss, and at the same time eating a lot because you know your body is always strict and thinking it signals your brain to eat a lot but um you know you you so actually type 2 diabetes can feel this way as well where you get polyphagia um yeah so that's a long-winded answer again but is there anything that you want to want me to clarify sharon or uh, I think there's none from me and it was definitely a very informative sharing <laughs> Um, I'm back to you. All right. At this point, I've learned so much about diabetes as a whole. Before moving on, could you just briefly share with us on how our diabetic patients manage? Okay. So, so for for the management of diabetes, I think um, as of all management, it should be individualized to the patient. But uh, generally, uh, diabetes care involves multidisciplinary team approach. So it should involve a, a different teams according to the patient need. Um, so in general, we say there's going to be the team at Clinica Sihatan that's going to look at for follow-up, for general follow-up for the patient, maybe even general medical specialist or endocrinology clinic. Uh, for their dietary uh, management, we need the dietitians. So if they have uh, diabetic and neuropathy causing ulcers in the foot, for example, they need to be approached or managed by the foot clinic team. If they have diabetic and uh, 
retinopathy, they need to be involved. Uh, they, need, they need to see the ophthalmology team. So, so it's, it should be multidisciplinary. And, and I would say, when I see a patient with diabetes, the way I manage them is to, to address several key issues. What is my goal of therapy? So that will be that. Uh, so I need to determine their target glycemic control. So I can do that by looking at their blood sugar, uh, making sure that it's in the range that I would like it to be. So for example, HbA1c, that's less than, say, 6.5%. And I'll look at their blood pressure and then have a, a specific target for their blood pressure, their lipid profile, and their body weight. And these can all be achieved by pharmacological and non-pharmacological therapy. So I always say that with regards to diabetes, uh, you must do um, lifestyle management. And so it's very important, lifestyle modification, medication. Uh, and then in terms of the key issue, I would also want to identify the micro and macrovascular complication uh, for the patient so that I can then address um, uh, if there needs to be an intervention for whatever complications that they have. Uh, and then refer them to the necessary team. And then um, also not to forget patient education. It's always important to remember that, you know, the patient is the one that's living with the disease. So it's always um, good to understand from their point of view, what are their concerns and expectations of the disease? What, how do, what do they understand about their disease? And do they know how to take their medication? Uh, what does it mean by lifestyle modification? How to go uh, about with, you know, um, monitoring their uh, disease, for example, um, like maybe we ask them to check their sugar control themselves at, 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 at home. So again, just to uh, summarize, I, I, the management should involve a uh, few things and it should be tailored to the patient and it should involve lifestyle modification, medication and patient education. That's okay. it. <laughs> Thank you, doctor, for the very detailed explanation. Right. So we also, uh, we did collect uh, some questions from our viewers on Instagram. So let's jump straight ahead into the Q&A session. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So for the first one, a follower did raise a question. Since some patients may require amputation, does that mean that diabetes couldn't be cured? And if so, do diabetic patients only rely on medicine? Doctor, will you please help us clear this confusion? Okay. Well, it sounds like three questions in one <laughs> so i think i think with the with the question of can they be cured it's a, it's an interesting one but i would say at the moment there probably isn't a cure for diabetes in particular like type 2 diabetes mellitus but uh there are there are uh, some advanced procedures that um that that is a potential. Uh, some people for type 2 diabetes, for example, there's weight loss surgery. Uh, and, and then there's this, there are procedures like, uh, pancreatic, uh, pancreas transplant or islet cell transplantation. But these are very advanced and, and they're, they're probably, they're probably at the moment, um, maybe the risk that's associated with it is more than the, more than the benefit, uh, that maybe even medication and all the other a management approach is probably more appropriate. So I think the easiest answer for now is to say, no, there's no cure for diabetes. And, and yes, perhaps medication, lifestyle modification would be the key to managing the disease. 
Wow, that is a truly interesting one. Well, we've seen in movies um, like how diabetic patients are commonly depicted to always be in dire need of insulin shots. So pertaining to this, a curious follower did inquire about uh, whether or not all diabetic patients need to be injected uh, with insulin. So doctor, can you um, help us answer this question? Okay, well, um, the, the, the easy answer to that is no, they, not all diabetic patients need to be injected by insulin. I think we've talked quite lengthy about, you know, uh, why insulin is actually important. But uh, it's not the only way that we can, we can get more insulin in the body. So yes, injecting insulin is good, especially if you really don't have that pancreatic beta cells to help you produce insulin. So, But it depends on the type of diabetes that you have. So if you are a type 2 diabetes who is uh, who have like more so insulin resistance? Then we can actually give you medication that promotes the production of insulin uh, or increase the insulin sensitivity, like metformin. Uh, so orally, so there are lots of oral options for treating uh, diabetes. But maybe uh, that whoever that person is depicted who's in dire need of insulin was needing insulin because he's type one insulin and. Um, He's, wow, it's very odd that you need insulin to try and get, start to try and help you. But it, it yeah, I think those situations, I, I wonder what situation is that? Because mm, you don't tend to be uh, in DKA outside in, in, in movie. You're probably in the hospital and we will administer that insulin for you. Or maybe after you eat, you probably, yeah. But yeah, no, not everyone needs insulin. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very much, Doctor. I hope that answers our um, audience's question. Okay. I believe that we all have heard someone share tips to cure diabetes using natural remedies like try eating vitigar or drinking certain juices, right? So, Doctor, what do you think? To what extent can we trust these claims and do natural remedies like this can really cure diabetes? Well, we just talked about how diabetes uh, at the moment isn't curable. So if just by uh, eating supplements or I don't know, whatever that the influencers are selling that can cure diabetes, ugh, that's too much of a claim to be made. So I would say, please be skeptical about claims of a diabetes cure. Um, if a, a very advanced, um, uh, if very, you know, like right now we, we're talking about like pancreas transplant, and then if you're telling me that you can eat something that can that can lead to a cure of diabetes, um, I probably will call that a bit of a uh, uh, be a, no that that's a bit that's 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 I don't think that's something that we need we we should even think about because if this it's true that there's genuine cure, it should have been tested repeatedly in like clinical trials with clear success after multiple research and multiple trials, right? So. Supplements, I would say, don't cure diabetes. And it's important to know that actually some supplements or some, some, some of this um, uh, cure that people say, they actually interact dangerously with the medication that you're taking, your diabetic medication that you're taking. Um, so, but, you know, if, if you really want, you, it's probably best to talk to your doctors to see if this supplement is uh, actually okay or not. Thank you, doctor, for clarifying. 
So thank you very much, Doctor, for your time today. And it was indeed a very insightful session. Unfortunately, time is not our friend here. And this would mark the end of this episode's podcast. I've personally learned so much today. And I hope that the same goes to our audiences. And thank you for listening to your daily dose of medicine. And don't forget to stay tuned uh, for the upcoming episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you. Thank you.